And so I actually found that deer increased their visitations to swamp chestnut oaks by 3% with each addition of an acorn. So it's pretty interesting when you can think about individuals that can produce thousands of acorns within a year, you know, that can add up pretty quickly that they're going to be more likely that a deer is going to be there. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and we got another great deer science episode for you today. Uh, I know a lot of deer hunters have the rut on their mind at this point. Hey, but even during the rut, a lot of the buck movement is driven by food because the food is where the does are going to be and the bucks will be concentrating on the does. And one of the key food sources this time of year, at least outside of major agriculture, is acorns. And in this episode, it's all about acorns. We're going to be talking to Kelsey Domeni of the University of Florida. Kelsey's pursuing her master's degree in wildlife ecology and conservation and is part of the University of Florida Deer Lab. Uh, she dives into which oak species she researched, uh, which ones produce best, which ones the deer preferred, and what deer hunters can take away from her research to be more successful in the field. So be sure to stick around for that conversation. Hey, before we get started, though, this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast is brought to you by our friends at Vortex Optics. Vortex offers a full line of high-quality hunting scopes and hunting optics with an unconditional lifetime guarantee. Uh, whether you need a new scope for your rifle, a new pair of binoculars, maybe a spotting scope for that trip out west, a Vortex has you covered. They even have a great line of apparel, so be sure to check out their full line of products today at vortexoptics.com. And one last thing, don't forget our Gear for Deer sweepstakes is continuing through the end of the year. That fundraiser features and just a pile of great prizes from our friends at Quiet Cat, Performance Outdoors, First Light, and Tethered including a premium Illinois November rut hunt for 2024. Uh, you can either use a gun or bow. It's your choice. That's like a, over a $10,000 value alone. Uh, you're also going to get a new Quiet Cat e-bike that comes in First Light camo. Uh, over $1,500 in First Light gift cards will be given away and a few full saddle hunting setups from our friends at Tethered. All the prizes were generously donated by these great companies, so all the money we raise will go directly back to NDA's mission to ensure the future of wild deer, wildlife habitat, and hunting. Hey, I'd personally, I'd love to win the package myself, but uh, unfortunately, I'm not eligible, but you guys are. So be sure to hit the pause button on this episode, head over to deerassociation.com slash gear for deer to get your chances today. And with that, guys, let's jump on the phone with Kelsey Domeni to discuss acorns. Well, hey, Kelsey, welcome to the uh, Deer Season 365 podcast. Before we kind of dive into our, our acorn discussion, uh, I always like to start things out by getting a, a little background on our guests. So if, if you would, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself as, as far as who you are and, and kind of what led you uh, to researching oaks and, and acorn production? Yeah. So hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So growing up, I always had, you know, a love for the outdoors and for animals. I've always enjoyed camping and hiking and such. And um, 
I went into do my undergrad at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I earned my bachelor's degree in wildlife ecology. And honestly, when I first showed up, I didn't even realize that studying wildlife could be a career. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had actually gone in my first year into engineering and just because I liked math and science. And then I found out that wasn't for me. And my second year there, I, I realized there was this thing called wildlife ecology. And I was like, it was like an aha moment, like, oh my gosh, yes, this is what I need to be doing. And so after I got that degree, uh, I then worked various technician jobs for three years, um, you know, across the United States, um, one of which was actually capturing white-tailed deer uh, in West Virginia. And then, um, yeah, now I'm here at the University of Florida uh, getting my master's degree in wildlife ecology and conservation. And I just you know, successfully defended a couple of weeks ago. So that feels pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I'm just really interested in animals and in mammals in particular, I think. And I think deer are just, you know, deer are really interesting. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to study them. But yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's amazing as, as numerous and prolific as, as deer are, there's still so much that we, we just, don't know about them or, or haven't studied. So it's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see all the research that's going on. And, and I got to ask as a, as a fellow wildlife or I have a, a wildlife degree as well. How many times did you get asked if you were going to be a park ranger when you <laughs> told, told everyone you was getting a wildlife degree? Oh my gosh. I, I can't even count. It, it's probably <laughs> every time I tell someone that I'm in the wildlife field. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was either a park ranger or a game warden for me. They, they it was yep. that's that's like the only two careers that that most people associate with with wildlife. So yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, very cool. Well, how how did this whole acorn project then come about? Well, it was kind of already developed a bit for me when I came in. Um, my advisor, Dr. Marcus Lashley, um, had come up with the idea, and I know he mentioned. He had talked with one of my other committee members, um, Dr. Kelly Kuhn, you know, before she was on my committee. Uh, They were just discussing oak masting and they realized that there were these differences between like the eastern part of the U.S. and the western part. And so I I think that's kind of how the idea came about. It was like, huh, let's look at these oak masting patterns in more detail. So I can't necessarily take credit for coming up with that, (laughs) but it's really interesting. And Honestly, I never thought I would get as interested in acorns as I am now. (laughs) Um, That never really crossed my mind, but (laughs) they are an important food source for many wildlife species. And so I do think it's something important that we should be studying and to better understand. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're a a key food source for a lot of a lot of species here in the east. So, yeah, I I guess what were when you kind of pick this up, what were some initial questions that you were you were trying to answer with with your research? Yeah, so the overarching question really was looking at how resource availability um, affects wildlife behavior. Um, so I was really interested in the behavioral aspect of this study. Um, so that's how we incorporated that into um, with the oak masting. And when I say resource availability, I was looking at um, a natural resource with oak masting um, that has that pulsed availability throughout the season in the fall. And then I also looked at an anthropogenic resource that was available on the landscape um, where my study was at the same time. 
with supplemental feeding that has that consistent availability. And so I was interested in seeing how those differences can then affect behavior. And I, I did focus on more than just deer. I also looked at gray squirrels and raccoons. Yeah, so I was interested in looking at how oak masting characteristics then affect behavior with, you know, how often deer are visiting the trees, visiting the oak trees, and then their feeding behavior on acorns when they're there. And so I was looking at like how the number of acorns available, how that could influence their behavior throughout the season, as well as the oak species, um, because oak species can differ in their acorn production. And then having the, that um, supplementary food also available, uh, I took into account that how that could influence behavior as well by looking at the distance to the nearest feeder um, with these oak trees. Yeah, so we were just interested in looking at how these different resource availability then influence behavior, in particular with their response to oak masting specifically. And and how long did did you run this study? Was this just a, a single season or multiple seasons? Or it was two seasons. So um, it ran for from October to December in 2021, and then September to December in 2022. Okay. Well, I guess if you would just kind of walk us through you know, how, how you set up the study and, and how it was, how it was implemented, basically, um, you know, how, how did you, uh, how did you measure, you know, acorn production and how did you monitor deer behavior, all that just kind of, kind of walk us through the whole, the whole setup. Yeah. So my study took place on a private property, um, for Oaks Plantation in Southern Georgia. And it has this, uh, what's the, called the Oscilla River drainage that runs through from north to south on the property. And so I had seven study sites uh, along that drainage. And so my sites were in bottomland hardwood forests that had closed canopies, and they had swamps right next to them in that drainage. And then they were bordered by upland longleaf pine savanna. And within each site, I... I, I kind of walked through and uh, selected oak trees that fit this certain criteria um, to be able to then monitor their masting pattern. And so for the oak trees, they had to be either um, dominant or co-dominant in the canopy. Uh, their canopy could not overlap with another oak tree. And um, we didn't want them to be adjacent to another oak tree that I selected with a seed trap. And that third one was in place for a future planned experiment where they're going to come in and do a canopy release treatment. And so we didn't want any of the trees that we were monitoring to get cut down during that process. Once I had the trees then picked out within these sites, uh, I placed seed traps underneath them, which were made of PVC pipe, and it had mesh screening uh, that had a, you know, a dip in it in the middle so I could catch the acorns. And I had placed that under the canopy of each tree. Once those were, were set up, I then counted uh, the weekly acorn production throughout the fall season for all of those trees. It, it ended up being like 205 oak trees and uh, they were made up of three different oak species. So I was monitoring water oak, laurel oak, and swamp chestnut oak. With those species, you know, I wanted um, these species that had a suite of different characteristics in their masting. So uh, water and laurel oak are part of the red oak group or red oak subgenus. And then swamp chestnut oak is part of the white oak subgenus. And those two groups can differ, you know, in their um, reproduction and acorn production. And um, 
So some of the characteristics that are different is like the size of the acorn. It's larger, tends to be larger for the white oaks versus the red oaks. There are more tannins in the red oaks. Nation uh, of their acorns. So white oak acorns um, tend to germinate pretty soon after they hit the ground, whereas the red oak acorns um, remain dormant for months before they germinate, as well as uh, the growing season to um, produce these acorns. So for white oaks, it takes one growing season where they'll then you know, drop their acorns in the fall, whereas for red oaks, it takes two growing seasons before they drop their acorns. And so I have these different species so that I could have that, those um, you know, different characteristics to then see how deer are responding to the uh, masting patterns of these different species. You know, once I had all the oak trees you know, selected, um, I then placed camera traps on a subset of those trees uh, to monitor deer behavior. To figure out which trees would get a seed trap, I conducted a rapid mast survey on all the oaks to, you know, it was a one minute survey where you counted as many acorns as you could in the canopy. And it was essentially just to make sure that these oaks had acorns for um, me to monitor because it wouldn't make sense to monitor oak trees that weren't producing acorns um, because then there wouldn't be any for deer to be reacting to. (laughs) Um, But once I did that, I then you know, I've split these trees into groups of 10 based on their proximity to each other. And within each group, um, selected one of the top three producing trees based on those survey results to get a camera trap. So I had about 30 camera traps across, um, I had seven study sites uh, across monitoring deer behavior. With those camera traps, I set them uh, to take a, you know, they were set for motion trigger to take a 10 second video every five minutes. And that video allowed me to characterize their behavior so I could see, you know, when they're coming to this oak tree, whether or not they're actually eating an acorn while they're there. That's how, that's kind of how I collected all this data to answer the oak masting, to look at the oak masting as well as the deer behavior in response to it. And I'm going to go back on a couple things here just just for our our audience's benefit. Now, you mentioned at one point when you're talking about the difference in in the red and white oaks. Uh, the the tannin level uh, being higher in, in red oak acorns. Can you can you explain just a, a little bit what that is and and maybe what impact that would have on I guess deer behavior between between the two species? Yeah, so the tannins are just like a um, chemical that is found within the acorns. It's kind of it's thought of as a, like a defense by the plant because they tend to have this bitter taste for animals, so they don't necessarily want to eat. Uh, want to eat something that has high tannin levels in it. And I think it also, you know, the tannin levels, it, it, since, since these red oak acorns are remaining dormant, you know, for a while before they germinate, I think the tannins also, you know, as the defense um, by the plant is to allow the acorns to be able to sit there and still germinate without an animal coming along and eating it. And so I think for deer, you know, they may not want to necessarily eat acorns that have um, these high tannin levels in them, you know, with the red oaks, because it's also, it's less palatable. It's, it's harder to digest. And so white oaks may be more appealing because they have, they have a lower level of those tannins. It's not, it's more, it's more palatable for them. And so I think white oaks may be more, may be more appealing for deer in that regard than the red oak acorns. 
Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Le- le- less bitter and, and more palatable. So it definitely uh, makes sense why they would prefer the, the white oak acorns over the red oaks. And then there was one other thing you mentioned there, which was that, that red oaks, you know, take um, two years to produce an acorn. Mm-hmm. But does that mean, I mean, a, a red oak tree can still produce acorns. I mean, it can still have acorns every year, correct? Yeah. I mean, it is possible that they could still drop acorns every year. Um, since it takes that two growing seasons, you could have acorns on there that are, you know, they're, they're still immature. They're still um, growing. But then you have those ones that are from, you know, maybe it's their second year going through the growing season. So they're ready to drop. But then you may have ones that just started and that's only their first growing season. Gotcha. So you set these acorn traps and, and you counted the the number of acorns that were dropping and, and then set trail cameras on some of these trees to monitor how the deer used them. So let's let's get into some of the differences you saw, I guess, first in the we'll, we'll kind of break this down into production of acorns and, and some of the differences and then look more at the deer behavior a little later on. So as far as timing of acorn drop, what what did you learn about the timing of, of when these, these different oak species drop their acorns? So the timing was actually, it differed between these um, oak species. So they all tended so they all tended to drop in November, but, you know, some of the species had multiple, they had multiple weeks where they were dropping and they kind of had that peak um, in masting as well as within an oak species. What, what was really interesting was that it's um, this timing in mast actually shifted across years. So in particular for water and laurel oak, that first year I was monitoring uh, they peaked, you know, what was it like the fourth week of November, but then shifted to earlier that second year where they were actually, their timing of mast was actually in like that first or second week of November, um, which was really interesting. And, um, you know, didn't, didn't quite expect that. Any theories as to why that may have happened or what, um, like weather related or anything? Yeah, it, it could have been, you know, those can the conditions during the spring when they're flowering. Maybe they just started flowering early earlier in the year. Um, I'm also wondering if it's like the individual variation within these um, oak species. So I do know that some individuals they their masting were at were at different times throughout the season, or maybe some individuals were doing yeah they were doing better that second year and tended to shift earlier. Uh, so I think it has something, something to do with that as well, but it's, it's, it's really interesting. And it's something, you know, I can't say for sure, but it's something that, you know, more research could look into to really understand, you know, why is there this asynchrony where they're shifting from year to year? All right. Okay. And what about the swamp chestnut oak? Was it, was the, did you see the variability there as well or? So swamp chestnut oak, uh, it produced that first year um, and it peaked in that late November um, time. But the second year was actually a mass failure year for that species. So there was still, you know, even though it was a mass failure, it still produced a little bit of acorns. And you could still see there was 
they were producing less in November and it was shifting earlier in the season. But I can't necessarily say that that was like, you know, specifically its masting pattern because it really didn't, (laughs) it didn't produce much throughout that season. Right. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know just even anecdotally, the white oaks here behind my house, um, this year, I'd actually thought that that maybe just it was just a poor mast year because I, I wasn't seeing anything at all on the ground uh, acorn wise up until just here recently. And and now I'm starting to see a lot hit the ground and, and I've since, you know, used some binoculars to to look up <laughs> in the trees and and they're there. It's just um, they they're dropping much later than than the previous two years that I've owned, yeah. owned the property three years now. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Uh, and I don't, of course, like you, I have no idea what to attribute that to other uh, potential weather factors or whatever, but, but yeah, that's interesting that, so yeah, you've, you've seen some of that variability as well. So, okay. You, you've seen some variability definitely between the different species and, and even, I guess you said, even within an individual species, there was some variability there. Right. Yeah. W- what about, and, and I know you only looked at it two years, but did you look like, even with a, a specific tree, was was there, you know, some variability there? And and when it dropped from the, you know, first year to the second year, you know, I have that data. I just haven't looked at that specifically because I do wonder the same thing if some of these individuals. Um, so I know there was individual variability in the timing throughout the season. But yeah, whether the same individual is dropping at the same time from year to year, that's that is really interesting. And it, I have the data. I just would have to go back and look at it. Um, I didn't specifically look into that, so I'm not I'm not quite sure. But it it would be really interesting if they were different, if they were shifting. Yeah, and I know that that would obviously take probably several years of, of data to be able to really nail that down. But it does. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious if you know there's some genetic timing factor in, ingrained in these these trees to where they tend to drop about the same time, or, or whether you know there's a lot of I guess other other variables there, um, weather right. and everything. But but yeah, yeah. So. I, I mean, I do know studies have shown with like the individual. Um, acorn production that it could be genetics. Um, it could be the age of the tree. Uh, there's also things like the soil environment that they're in. And like you said, like the environmental conditions, like spring temperatures and such. Yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting to see if we could attribute any of those factors to, um, this shift in the timing of mast. Yeah. Okay. So as far as, uh, just kind of a the big picture view of timing it sounds like the so were the two red oak species a little more spread out in in their their dropping versus the the swamp chestnut oak or or were they pretty similar all all three trees as far as like you know kind of when they started and and when they finished dropping they were similar i know some of them laurel oak had you know, it had it had multiple weeks where it was dropping similar acorn production and it had, uh, you know, it had these like um, different peaks uh, throughout the season. But for the most part, they were all they were all within November. It seemed like they were all peaking around that time. OK. And then I guess next, let's talk about actual acorn production as far as the quantity um what what were you able to learn about the the differences in these three oak species in terms of just 
you know, the amount of acorns they, they produce? So water oak was definitely, on average, the highest um, producer between the three species. Is that in quantity of acorn, like number of acorns or, 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 or weight, mass? Uh, I looked at the number of acorns. Okay, okay. Yeah, that would definitely make sense. <laughs> water oaks <laughs> are super productive, but for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was looking at total acorn production um, with the number of acorns I was counting in these seed traps. And yeah, water oak on average um, across both years were higher than laurel and swamp chestnut oak. And uh, laurel oak was always like, like, in, like it was the next one. It was the next highest producer throughout the season. And then swamp chestnut oak, you know, it had a good year that first year, but then it, you know, it had that mass failure the second year. But it was also interesting to see that overall, like the annual acorn production, water and laurel oak had a better year that second year, whereas swamp chestnut oak had a better year the first year. And it kind of makes me wonder if that has to do with the um, the growing seasons, as I mentioned earlier, where it takes it takes white oaks that one growing season to drop their acorns, and then it takes red oaks two growing seasons. That could be why there was a um, better mast year for those two red oak species um, in my second year, second year of my study. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then it would it would it would make you wonder that, you know, if you were to look that third year where where the white oaks, the second year, the white oaks had a mass failure, you know, Mm -hmm. that third year, it it would make you wonder if the red oaks followed up with with a mass failure the the second year or the third year. So, yeah, 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 interesting. Which. I want to jump back. Something I, I kind of forgot to ask when we, you first started talking about the the setup of this study. Why why those three species? I guess what what prompted you to choose those three over you know just a a white oak or you know what whatever scarlet oak or, or some of the other oak species? Or were mm-hmm. they just the three dominant species in the stand? Or yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it was really I was just walking through these sites and just selecting oak trees, like I mentioned, based on those criteria. And then it was kind of, it was like I identified them to species and it was really whatever species were there. So water oak definitely dominated um, in my study areas, uh, was the most abundant. And then it was swamp chestnut oak and then laurel oak. And so that's why, yeah, that's how that ended up happening, where I then was looking at those three species. Okay. All right. Now, uh, again, on on the production side of things, uh, was there? Did you see variability? You already talked about the the kind of the variability between uh, the three different species. But what about within a species um, from from tree to tree? Uh, say swamp chestnut oaks. Did was there a good bit of variability in the number of acorns produced between individual trees? I you know I don't know that specifically because um, I didn't necessarily look at you know, I kind of just grouped it together and looked at the average overall for swamp chestnut oaks. Um, but just kind of off of my memory of like going through the data, I do believe there were some individuals that seemed to be producing more uh, and more consistently than other individuals. But I couldn't I couldn't give you, you know, the numbers for that off the top of my head. OK, not, not a problem. Now, let's. Uh, OK, we've we've talked about the timing of the drop. We've talked about the production or the amount of acorns uh, that these trees are dropping. 
let's talk about what I know a lot of the listeners are, are here to, to hear about, and that's the, the deer behavior side of it. And, and again, I guess you spoke to this a little bit uh, a minute ago, but, but would, if you would just reiterate kind of how you went about monitoring deer usage on these, these trees. Yeah, so I had um, camera traps placed on a subset of these trees that, again, consisted of the water oak, laurel oak, and swamp chestnut oak. And uh, I had set the cameras to take a 10-second video every five minutes, and it was motion-triggered. And so within each video, I was able to identify species, you know, whether a deer came um, to the oak tree, and then also their behavior when they were there. You know, were they just walking by? Were they, like, sniffing the ground? You know, I could typically see when they would be eating an acorn because it was very much, you know, they're really crunching down trying <laughs> to <laughs> shell it and, you know, get to the um, get to the good stuff. So, yeah, so that's why I did a video so that I could characterize that behavior and really be able to tell if they were eating an acorn when they were there. OK, gotcha. Mm-hmm. And and the the question everybody's wondering, I guess, is did they seem to have a preference for a you know particular species of of oak acorn? I did I did see um, a preference. I detected a preference with my data, which was uh, they preferred the swamp chestnut oaks over water and laurel oak. You know, with my data, they were more likely to be visiting those oak trees and then more likely to eat eat the acorns when they're there you know, spending more time there feeding. And so I actually found um, that deer increased their visitations to swamp chestnut oaks by 3% with each addition of an acorn. So it's pretty interesting when you can think about individuals that can produce thousands of acorns within a year, you know, that can add up pretty quickly that they're going to be more likely that a deer is going to be there uh, at that tree. And uh, what was that figure again? Yeah. So, so each acorn of a swamp chestnut oak that was on the ground, it increased uh, the number of visitations by deer uh, by 3%. Okay. Wow. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Be talking hundreds of acorns on the ground. (laughs) Right. Right. So, um, yeah. So that was really interesting. And then, you know, they were more likely to eat those acorns when they were there. And, um, this is compared to water oak as well, which remember water oak produced, you know, way more acorns throughout the season. And um, it's interesting because swamp chestnut oak had that mast failure year the second year. But deer, you know, my data showed that deer were still more likely um, to be going to those trees. And something else that's interesting, you know, when I looked at the overall, you know, how the number of acorns can influence their behavior, not necessarily looking at oak species, but just in general. That that didn't really seem to have an effect on their behavior. But then when you did break it down by oak species, oh, the number of swamp chestnut oak acorns was important for deer and influenced their behavior. Okay. And was that consistent like throughout the season from October to the end of the year? Or did they shift, you know, as as maybe one tree or one species produced more than than the other? Did did I guess their visibility shift? Or was it pretty consistent that that they were coming to those swamp chestnut oaks? Yeah, so it was pretty it was pretty consistent because that was that was looking at my data just you know all together from those two years, and so you know yeah they showed they showed that they tended to go for the swamp chestnut oaks in both seasons whether they were going there or they were 
eating acorns that they found at those trees. I did I didn't detect a shift, you know, between oak species within the season. Okay. And but I guess you did based on that statistic you were talking about the three the 3% three per acorn. So mm-hmm. as more acorns fell, you were seeing more more likely to see deer activity, I guess, under the tree. Is that would that be yeah. uh okay. Yeah, that's how you would interpret that. Gotcha. Now, I don't guess you didn't go as far as to like try to separate out individual bucks or anything like using these sites, did you? No, I I did look at, you know, whether male or female deer were coming to the trees and it was a good mixture of both, but I did not keep track of individual bucks. Okay. Yeah, I would I would just be curious, and that would be a whole other study, I guess. But uh, you know, if if there's personal preference involved there, you know, if, right. if a certain deer may just have a preference for certain types of acorns, but yeah, yeah, that would that would definitely be something interesting um, to look into. I feel like that could be like the next step off of this study because um, I yeah I was looking at it from like the population level, right, right, white-tailed deer, yeah. So how, how long, I mean, did, would these deer tend to stay under these trees when they, when they did visit them? I mean, would they be under there feeding for a while or was it just, you know, in a lot of cases, just like passing through and and picking up a few here and there or what kind of behavior did you see as far as that went? Yeah. So just kind of thinking about the data, you know, as I was going through those videos, it was probably more so like I saw them for a video. Uh, they were eating acorns maybe under the tree for like five minutes within um, because then the next, you know, the next time I would get a video five minutes later, they, they wouldn't necessarily be there. So I think when they were, they were there, they were spending time, but it's not like it, they were spending, you know, like half an hour or so under this tree. I think it was more so just like a few minutes and then uh, they would move on to the next thing. Okay. Gotcha. And then you mentioned, which, which I didn't even realize this was a part of it, but you had mentioned like, supplemental feed earlier was mm-hmm. was you monitoring supplemental feed sites as well so it was just this the the private property i was working on they had supplemental feeders um available the whole time during my study um in both years and so i wanted to take into account well that resource is available you know deer are known to go there and eat that food so i just wanted to take into account well how could that be influencing you know, the behavior I'm observing uh, with their response to oak masting. So I didn't necessarily uh, monitor their behavior at the feeders. I just took into account, you know, how close those feeders were to the oak trees I was monitoring um, with deer behavior. And it turned out that the distance to a feeder did not affect deer. It didn't, I, I was thinking maybe it would decrease their consumption of acorns because they may be you know, more attracted to go to this uh, resource that's more readily available. Usually it's pretty much consistently available if people are continuing to refill it. But I found that, yeah, these, this supplemental feeding didn't have any effect on deer, which I think really uh, indicates the importance of natural food resources over this anthropogenic resource, even though it is um, typically, you know, um, consistently available. Right. Yep. Yeah, the, the only reason I ask that is I would just be really curious to see if like visits to the supplemental feed, you know, drastically dropped when these 
these acorns are hitting the ground. I, I know just anecdotally from my own personal hunting experience and stuff, you know, a lot of times it's, it seems that's the case, you know, that mm -hmm. uh, deer, when, when the acorns really start dropping, you know, the deer, you, you, people who have trail cameras on feeders or corn piles, it seems like the, the, they start getting on social media complaining that, you know, mm -hmm. where did all my deer go? They're not in right. front of my camera anymore. So yeah. 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 That, that's the only reason. Yeah. I asked that, but that, that that's interesting though, that you did not see any kind of correlation to the, the proximity to those, those feeders. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that would be something interesting um, to look into is look at specifically, you know, the feeder and the oak tree at the same time. How is it, how are they responding when both are available like that, where you, like you can specifically see, Oh, the deer <laughs> are visiting the feeders less because oak uh, acorns are available. And I know other studies have shown that too with, uh, I don't know that it was necessarily white-tailed deer, but um, just other animals when there is a, uh, you know, when natural food resources like acorns are available, then the animals are less likely to be at these feeding sites. Um, right. So yeah, it's interesting. Okay. So, so overall, I guess behavior wise, it just sounds like, you know, you saw a, a preference for swamp chestnut oaks and use mm -hmm. of those sites were pretty consistent across, across the season. Uh, or I guess it, it basically followed the, the production of those, uh, the more acorns they were dropping then the more visits you were, you were getting on cameras mm -hmm. at all. That's kind of a pretty accurate summary of what you saw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then the, the same thing for, for laurel and water oaks, I mean, pretty much follow that same, you know, the more acorns it was dropping, the, the, the more visits you were seeing. And I, I didn't see anything with water or laurel oak with that for deer. Oh, okay. I didn't detect any relationship with the number of acorns they were producing. And then, you know, deer behavior, whether they were visiting the trees or, or eating acorns. Um, it was just with the swamp chestnut oaks that I detected uh, that pattern. Okay. That's interesting. And I guess what were, I mean, what were the deer number the, or the, I'm not sure how you measure it exactly, but I'm, I'm just curious, like the level of deer usage of the swamp chestnut oaks, how much more were they, I guess, visiting the, those swamp chestnut oaks than they were the other two species? I don't know if it was like, you know, you saw twice as much usage of, of those versus the other or three times or, you know, I didn't, I didn't know if you had a figure. Right. I do know that for, um, yeah. So for the number of visitations, uh, at Swamp Chestnut Oak, they were about two times more likely to visit those than the water and laurel oak. That kind of, yeah, that puts it in perspective. I was just curious, you know, what, what, how much of a, of, of a preference that, that white oak species was over the other two. So good. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess, you know, to the, to the deer hunters listening to this episode, which is, which is going to be most of us, what, what would you say are, you know, maybe just a, a couple of the key takeaways or take home messages from your study? Yeah. So I think, you know, finding those, you know, if you have swamp chestnut oaks, but I think it can be more generalized to just white oaks, you know, finding those white oak trees that are producing acorns, figuring out which individuals, you know, they're producing uh, when during the season, if it's, you know, early November, late November, um, I think uh, deer, you know, are going to those trees, they're spending more time there feeding. But I also think while, you know, while hunters are out scouting, 
you know, don't just look at the ground when you're looking for acorns. Also look up, you know, look up into the canopy using the binoculars. You know, you could do those mast surveys that I was talking about. And, you know, you could just go and look at the different white oaks on, on your property or something. And you could see which trees, you know, look like they're going to have, they're going to be producing the most acorns and maybe try to target those ones uh, to sit under then when you're hunting. I also just kind of want to make a note that, you know, just because deer showed this preference um, in my study for the white oak species, um, that doesn't necessarily mean they don't use those red oak species as well. So I think it's still important to have, you know, those multiple oak species and have that diversity to then give you that consistent acorn availability within the season and across years. Because, you know, in my study, the white oak species, swamp chestnut oak, you know, had that mast failure year the second year. But, you know, the water and laurel oak, part of the red oak species, you know, they were, they were doing even better that year. And so it's still important to have that acorn availability throughout the season. And, you know, deer are still going to use those, uh, even if I didn't necessarily detect it, to detect a strong relationship within my study. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something, you know, over the years I've, I've certainly witnessed that they'll, um, like you said, they, the preference definitely has always seemed to be for, for those white oak species, but I, I've definitely seen them key in on red oaks, you know, when, when white oaks just weren't available, whether it was a, a bad mast year mm-hmm. or there was a case a few years ago for where, uh, scarlet oaks here where, where I'm at dropped really heavy, really early and before the white oaks. And, and I saw a lot of deer activity around those those scarlet oaks so mm-hmm. yeah i mean it may, you know it makes sense they're gonna they're gonna eat what they can they they just yeah. like us <laughs> you know we we might have a preference for uh you know a, a big juicy burger but uh if mm-hmm. if all we can get's a, a salad and <laughs> then we're gonna <laughs> take what we can get i guess but right yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah yeah certain certainly makes sense anything else i guess we've we've overlooked as far as with your study that that might be of interest to the listeners have we have we overlooked anything or have I overlooked anything as, as far as asking the questions, I guess? No, I, I think we pretty much covered it. I guess one thing I want to mention that's interesting is, you know, most of these studies that have looked at oak masting, um, at least up to this point, have been looking at it at the annual temporal scale, you know, doing it for multiple years. And for my study, I looked at oak masting at the seasonal temporal scale because it, it may be more relevant for understanding deer behavior, you know, since they consume resources, you know, as soon as they're available. And what's interesting is those studies at the annual scale, you know, they found that masting was synchronized across years, across years for the most part. And what I found within mine, at least with the timing of mast, you know, across years, it was actually um, asynchronous, which I think is interesting. And, you know, it's something that research could you know, further look into why there was that shift in the timing of mass and what impacts that may have on deer, you know, throughout the season. And when you say asynchronous, are you talking between individuals within the same species? I guess kind of explain what what you mean there by you found that it was the timing was asynchronous. Yeah. So I guess I just mean like that timing, you know, it shifted within an oak species. Oh, from from year to year. From year to year, okay, yes, gotcha. it shifted to earlier in the season, um, as well as you know some of those species 
had uh, they had multiple weeks where they had a high acorn production um, versus you know just having one week that had them dropped the most acorns. Um, you know they had similar acorn production in multiple weeks. Uh, yeah, so okay. And one question that that's kind of popped in my head while we were we were talking about all this that I that I didn't ask. Now, mm-hmm. did you see deer? Did you, deer usage drop off pretty sharply? Like as soon as those when when one of those oak trees would you know basically I guess finish finish dropping or or stop dropping. I mean, did did deer use seem to immediately fall off at that point, or would they still kind of you know come visit or, or visitation? I guess would did it drop off? at that point? No, I, I didn't notice any visitation, um, dropping off. I, I was seeing deer visiting these trees like late into the season, late into December past when that peak masting would have occurred. Okay. So yeah, they were still coming like, by. Still checking they, they were still checking, checking to see yeah. if anything else was, was Yeah, falling. maybe there's more okay. coming. They were, you know, they were hoping. Yeah. Yep. Well, I guess uh, so. What what's what's next for you? Uh, have you have so are you completely done? I guess with this acorn study, are you going to continue researching that or doing any additional research at this point? Yeah. So right now, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get these chapters published uh, in a journal, and um, I after this, I'm going to be looking for, yeah, I'd like to stay in research, uh, looking for like a research biologist position, either with a state or federal agency. Um, so I've been, you know, I've been on the lookout for that and, uh, applying to jobs and such. So. Okay. Gotcha. Well, well, certainly, uh, good luck with, with that and your future endeavors. And, uh, yeah, I just thank you. Thank you for taking time out to come on the show and, and talk, deer and acorns with us and uh, i know uh, i enjoyed the discussion and and i think our listeners are gonna gonna enjoy it as well so uh, much much appreciated yeah thank you so much for having me um i've enjoyed talking with you as well it's been yeah it's been fun (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely all right guys that wraps up our interview with kelsey domeni thanks so much for checking out this episode of the deer season 365 podcast if you haven't already please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and, and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to, uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to, uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. And, uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website, covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, If it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube 
at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends. Mm -hmm.